Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We started the podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff to read, but we're all very busy. So we created the Sendcast to try and help make schools more inclusive and to improve everyone's knowledge around SEND. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same information to schools and parents. Every week on the Sendcast, I have a different guest on that has come along to talk about a topic they are passionate about. And this week, we're discussing choosing a school for pupils with additional needs or SEND. My guest this week is Sarah Billingham. Sarah is a specialist teacher who supports children's communication needs. Now, before we get started, I'd like to remind you about us here at B Squared. Over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment products are used in over 15,000 schools around the world to help show small steps of progress, with around 1,700 using our assessment software, Connecting Steps. Our online CPD platform, Training for Education, started a couple of years ago with a virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. If you want to find out more about B Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, which is www.bsquared.co.uk, and you'll find lots of information you can read about, but you can also book a free online meeting to find out how we can support you. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing the process of choosing a school for pupils with additional needs or SEND. Joining me this week is my guest, Sarah Billingham. Sarah has been working with children with speech and language needs for over 16 years in mainstream and specialist settings. She is a specialist teacher who supports children's communication needs and supports parents to navigate the various SEN systems. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks so much, Dale. Such a privilege to be here. Um, I'm really looking forward to today's chat. That's a perfect response. (laughs) So choosing a school is stressful for every parent, and there is often only an illusion of choice, which you do not find out till later. You think you've got choice, but it's just a local one. But for parents of children with additional needs or SEN, there is a lot more to take into consideration and you may not know what you should be looking for or the questions you should be asking. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of parents, going to visit schools can be the first time they've been in a school since they were at school themselves. And you immediately get that heart sinking feeling of sitting outside the headmaster's office the moment you step through the building. And so I think it brings back your own anxieties around school, as well as all of the pressure of feeling like you've got to make the right decision. Um, And I think a lot of that pressure is pressure that parents put on themselves. And I've certainly experienced that myself, even though I have, you know, a lot of background in education, it still feels stressful because, you know, suddenly the spotlight's on you, I think. So as B-squared, I've been to lots of schools and for a few years going in and the head teacher, I was like five years old again. And then even as a parent, you get, you get to that, you go to parents' evening and it's a really weird thing. It's like, I'm an adult now. Oh, that's very different. But yeah, it is. Often your first time you're choosing a school is the first time you've been in a school since you were 16 or 18. And you may not have left with the best memories or you may not. And often you also, especially you don't pay attention to things. So you're going in with some either rose-tinted memories or the opposite, and you're going in and as the head teacher, you're already a bit nervous 
And you're trying to make a decision for your child, which is going to impact them for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. But I think at the same time, it's worth keeping in mind that at the point that you're choosing a school, you're really thinking about that age and stage of development. So you're not, when your child's four, thinking about their GCSE options. You're thinking about what's the right school for this stage of education. So I think that's important because I think people get, you know, they think it's a one-off decision and that places more pressure on you when actually you're thinking about what's the right thing for now. And then there will be other opportunities to revisit that later on. That's that's interesting because... I think historically you would go to that primary school and generally that primary school feeds into that secondary school. The academy situation has completely changed it because you might have these three schools are linked to that secondary. And I think for, I think a lot of children, you went to one school, you went to a primary school, you went to a secondary school. It was kind of that. But I think there's, you can move children between schools more these days. So it is, I think it is, you choose the right school for that moment rather than Am I choosing a primary school which feeds into the secondary school to get that GCSEs? Don't worry about that. Worry on the next few years. Yes, definitely. And I think keep that in mind when you're looking around. You're looking at that three, four-year period for the key stage that your child is going to enter that school for. And you know that is where you are making your consideration, what you're keeping in the back of your mind as you're looking around the school environment. Because what you're looking for to support your child at four looks very different to what you're looking for to support your child at 14. And your child with additional needs, their needs will change a lot in that, you know, over the course of their education. So we're looking for what is most supportive for the child right now. And I can't tell you how often when I've been doing tours for parents, you know, in my role as, you know, a senior leader of a school, where parents have been distracted by the architecture or the facilities. And so we land up being a little bit sidelined by something that's actually the cherry on top rather than the cake itself. So we get really distracted by the swimming pool or the climbing frame or a really nice bit of kit, which of course our child's going to enjoy and benefit from, but maybe they're going to go in that swimming pool for 20 minutes a week for one term of the year. It isn't gonna be the make or break for their education or the most supportive thing for their needs. But I've so often seen parents get a little bit sidetracked by a smokescreen. And I would encourage parents, as I said, to see that as the cherry on top, there's something extra and not to, you know, make their entire decision based on some of those bits of facilities. There is, there was a school near us, which they used to have a school pool, but I think it got closed and they're trying to open it up again. And I saw it as a negative because I was like, you're a primary school and you're trying to fund running a pool, that money could have been spent so much more elsewhere for the 20 minutes once term. It was like the cost, it was like the cost, it like just made no sense to me, but they were really proud of it. And I was like, that's odd. That's <laughs> odd. That's just, that's mathematically not right. Don't have the pool, stick them on a bus somewhere. It will cost you less and use that money on something else. Your child's at school for, you know, in primary school, like 30, you know, 32 and a half hours a week. We really want to be making sure that the majority of time your child is well supported and those little extras, they're only going to access for part of the time. So from my point of view, the thing that makes the biggest difference, the thing that as you're watching when you go around a school that is really worth looking out for is the interaction. I think interaction is everything. Regardless of, you know, the the facilities, the state of the buildings, all of those sorts of things, it is the quality of the interactions between the staff and the children and between the children with each other 
that gives you the best insights into the quality of that education. Shows you how strong the relationships are, how well the staff are supporting communication and social interaction. They're modeling, you know, all of that good communication in those interactions. They're catching the teachable moments. You know, when you go around a school, at some point, something's going to go wrong. <laughs> That's just the life and nature of schools. And there's almost a Murphy's Law there. If you're a teacher, if someone's coming around, that's the moment it's going to go wrong. I wouldn't worry about what's gone wrong. I'd worry about what happens in the interaction immediately after that thing has gone wrong. Because that tells you if your child's having an off day or something goes wrong in the classroom, how people pick that up and deal with it is going to be one of the most important things that happens in, on a day-to-day -day basis. Definitely. That holds true to so many things in life. And I'm going to completely change into shopping. People say how good the customer service is. I'm like, if nothing's gone wrong, you cannot judge customer service. And it's the sort of thing is if everything's going smoothly, that's one thing. When things go wrong, when things kick off, when something's gone wrong, you get to see how people respond. Then you learn about people. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's that combination of the interactions and uh, the, the communication environments that staff are creating, as well as the learning environment that they create. So, um, as I said, don't get too hung up on the facilities, but by learning environments, I mean, how calm is the environment? When children are moving from the classroom to the dining room, is that done in a, in a kind of orderly fashion? Or do you feel like you're in rush hour at Clapham Junction? Um, because those calm transitions are really supportive for our children with SEND. Is it a positive learning experience? Is it organized? Can the children find the things that they need? Because predictability is so important for all children, but particularly for children with SEND, being able to predict what's going to happen next, where I need to find things, who I can ask when I need help. All of these bits of prediction are so important. And part of what will support our children's learning environments and provide those predictions are things like visual resources. Can we see you know, a meaningful visual timetable on the wall? Are there other symbols or visuals that are helping children to understand the routines of the day? All of these things are going to be really helpful. Definitely. And I think the big thing I would really recommend to every parent is don't go to one school. Even if everyone tells you, go to this school, that's the one, you've got to see two, if not three, Three really is a minimum schools because what you will learn is, oh, this school looks really good at that. Then you see another school and you'll see it done better or you'll see it done worse or you'll just see it done differently. And it's what is what you feel comfortable with. And you need that comparison to work out which one you like. Absolutely. 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. I think sometimes you'll visit somewhere that, you know, maybe wasn't your first choice when you looked at the websites, but you will see things you didn't expect. It will bring up new conversations for you that you perhaps hadn't considered. And I think that it's important to visit more than one type of school as well. So often for parents of children with additional need, they may have their heart set on mainstream school, for example, or on a resource base attached to a mainstream school or a special school. But going to visit a variety of settings give you, gives you a sense of what's on offer there, because I think your preconceived idea will really be challenged when you walk through the door. And sometimes your preconceived idea will be reaffirmed. Actually, that isn't the right kind of school for my child. And now I can go forward with confidence in my decision because I've double checked. 
Um, but I think it's important to visit those different types of settings and get a sense of the pros and cons in each of the different places before making that final choice. And I think too often as a parent, and I'm definitely guilty of this myself, sometimes we listen a little bit too much to what I heard one head teacher describe as the car park mafia, the opinions of other parents. And it's not to say that those opinions aren't accurate, but they are looking through the lens of thinking about what's right for their own child. And what's right for their child might not be what's right for your child. So it's important to go and look for yourself. Somebody else visiting a school and saying, I didn't like it because, or it didn't offer this, might be very important for them and their child, but it might not be the most important factor for your child. I'm just going to uh, devil's advocate that one. When, if you're on a parent, there's lots of parent groups on Facebook, which can be useful, can be dangerous, can be lots of things. But if you ask which school would you, I might come to school age, which school would you recommend? So for us, there are three schools in our local area. And um, we'd chosen one school. We, we, we were quite happy. But what was interesting is um, when this question was asked, lots of parents from the other two schools recommended their schools. What was really interesting, none of the parents from the school we chose recommended our school. And I agreed with them. That was, I found it quite interesting because I was literally going, well, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna see if anyone else posts and no one else did. And I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. So you do have, if your parents are there, don't listen to, and I wouldn't listen to parents who are looking at schools because that is, can get very dangerous because you are, like restaurants, your expectations and your understanding and your, your idea of what a nice restaurant is is very different. Um, Talk to parents who have children there, who've had there and have had things go wrong and had the school dealt with it and have been part of this and part of that. That will give you a much better opinion. But if you're a parent of a child with additional needs in SEN, it could be your experience could be polar opposite to a parent of a child who doesn't have additional needs. I think that's true, but I also think it's true that Children with SEND are a very broad and vast group, and a school could be very skilled and experienced in supporting one child and really struggle to meet the needs of another child. And so, you know, it's not a homogenous group in that sense. No. Um, so one person's experience will be very different to another person's experience. But also, if you're looking at opinions on social media, it's a little bit like Google reviews. Only the people with the strongest feelings are going to comment and so you might get two or three really negative comments about a school, but that could actually be a very small percentage of parents. It could be that 1% of, of parents at that school have had a negative experience, but 99% of people have had a really positive experience. But you're only hearing from those two or three people that um, may quite understandably have beef. <laughs> And the same is true in terms of positive comments. That could also represent only 1%. So I would take it with a pinch of salt that people might say things that are useful, but always take it with a pinch of salt and check for yourself and get your own sense of whether somewhere feels like a good fit and can meet the needs of your child. Can we move on to the Joy of Ofsted inspections yet now? Because I just want to mention this. Because a lot of people will buy a house in an area next to a school with an outstanding offset inspection. 
Yep, it's the best school in the area. I'm going to make sure I found out from the estate agents the catchment area, and I'm going to spend the additional money to be in that catchment area for that school. Outstanding is an interesting term. It was interest. It was outstanding on the day it was inspected using the inspection framework at that time. Okay, so what I mean by that is. It was outstanding then. The head teacher could have changed. Various staff could have changed. Various things could change. Uh, COVID could have had a really bad impact on that school and leadership changes, or they haven't responded to COVID well. Various things. But also, historically, a school could get outstanding and then not be, some schools haven't been inspected for 10 years because not much has changed. But that's like three generations of children have kind of got three complete skits, which have gone through some of these schools. And in 10 years, that school could be very different to the judgment it received 10 years ago. So always it is a point in time and it is really worth just bearing that in mind that it was a point in time and it might not be true for now. You've also historically to get outstanding it was all about attainment and results which basically meant no SEN children focus on the exams not a lot else you got your results you got outstanding that has changed but that has always been there so so for some of these outstanding schools and I'm going to say the word some um, SEN might not be a big priority it might not feel welcoming inside the school it might be thought more um uh, everyone has to uh, be very obedient and fit in well, and we've got things to do. So it's, it, the biggest thing is all is a triangulation. It is lots of things together. But Ofsted inspections can be a red herring if they are old. I absolutely couldn't agree with that more. And in terms of um, moving, you know, uh, houses to be close to the school that you would like your child to go to, I am the cautionary tale for that. So as I sit speaking to you, I'm looking out of my window at the closest school to us, which backs onto our house. We can see straight into the playground and morning drop-off was was three driveways down. Um, and so we moved to to this house right next to the school of our choice. And, you know, our daughter did go to that school. But after a couple of years, we found that actually that that offset inspection was absolutely a point in time, which no longer reflected the current state of the school, and it was not the right school for our daughter. Now, I'm not sure that's necessarily going to help the listeners other than frighten them. No, I, um, I think it will, because his, historically a, a school could have been good. But if that head teacher changes, it is an unknown in reality. Yes, and there are lots of things that can change. So, you know, the pressure of things that have come up in the pandemic, for example, also things like changing Ofsted criteria, all of these things are going to be a factor. But if I think with my teacher hat on about what Ofsted inspectors are looking for when they come around and look at schools, their criteria is very different to what my criteria is as a parent and the sort of school experience that I'm looking for for my, for my children. Of course, I want my children to have lots of great academic opportunities, but I also really care about how well their friendships are supported, um, whether they are nurtured and their emotional well-being is taken into account. And I'm not saying that Ofsted don't care about these things. They do. But my point is just that their criteria might be different to mine. And um, your point about SEN children is, is really an important one because 
there are some schools where there are not going to be very many SEN children, where the experience in that area might not be particularly strong, where the school are, in fact, encouraging SEN parents to, to move their children elsewhere because they, you know, it's, it's not doing their attainment, uh, you know, stats any favours. And so that doesn't necessarily give us a, a full reflection of what support might be like for our child when we look at the inspection report. Um, I think reading the inspection reports is helpful to give you some background information, but I don't think I would hang my hat on what the report you know, concludes. I would want to be making my own decision about what I think is right. Also, you work in education, so you can understand them properly. Um, yeah, they're very, they're very jargon-filled. And, um, you know, the inspections are quite short particularly if schools have been doing well and their attainment is good, the inspectors might only be there for a day and um, almost anybody can put on a good show for a day. <laughs> and it's important, so Ofsted and local authorities and league tables, it's about what they can measure. So we're talking attainment, we're talking finances, and we also, they do a big push on safeguarding says loads of processes more than you will ever understand as a parent what goes on behind the scenes in schools around safeguarding but that is the main things they check everything else is down to interpretation and they, they focus on what they can measure so you mentioned friendships emotional well-being you can't measure that there's a couple of things they could do which is various schemes like buddy schemes or playground this or this that schools can do, which may get mentioned, but overall, the bits that matter to parents and your child don't hugely get measured in those um, Ofsteds. Yes, and I think sometimes the things that can be measured become so important that other opportunities fall by the wayside. So we become over-focused on the teaching of English and maths, and we sacrifice you know, creative arts to, to make more time and space so that we can up our grades in English and maths, for example. And um, so, as I said, it's about thinking about what's important for you and your child. So I always chat when I'm supporting to parents about, you know, what are your, you might not get everything on your wish list for a school, but what are your three non-negotiables? What are the three things that are really important to you, your child, your family, that are things that are non-negotiable? And that's going to be different for different people. Um, as I said, you know, top of my list would be interactions. That would be my absolute non-negotiable. I want to see really positive interactions. I, I'm going to be asking lots of questions about how friendships are supported and emotional well-being is looked after. And the third thing for me that would be a non-negotiable is how does the school work in partnership with parents? I don't want to be all over them like a rash, but I also want to feel that I'm included in what's going on and that I can um, support what they're doing with what I'm doing at home and that we have this ongoing relationship where we're working together for the good of my child. Um, and, you know, those are the three things that are most important to me. For somebody else, the three things that are most important to them will be different. But I think before you go and visit the schools, it's worth having a conversation, um, you know, with your your child's, you know, other parent or your partner or a friend to really think about what are the things that are most important for you and actually jotting those down so that you can refer back to them and go, you know, how much of this did I see in that particular school? So it was interesting. If I go to my, my um, experience of choosing a school is I love maths and computing and tech. And although... 
I put no effort in. I always did really well at school and academic and blah, blah, blah. So I wanted, I wanted something good for my children. I wanted the right start. It was all about the academic. And we had three schools near us who were all outstanding. We were really lucky. So we've got three outstanding schools, which mean they'd probably be the same, complete opposite. So one of them was very academic. I would say it was uh, no dust in that school. Everything was clean, almost medical type, precision, teaching, getting everything right. And I went in there going, this is good. They do streaming. They do this. They do that. I'm going, this is good academic. This will be great. And I was like in love with it. My wife's going, no. We then went to another school which had a pool they wanted to refill. And, I'm, and it was just, there was too much emphasis on this pool, which wasn't there, but we wanted it there. And I was going, what about the lessons? And it just, the school felt a little bit chaotic. Like, and it was just a bit odd. I couldn't tell you what it is. I would just class it as the way that that head teacher's priorities were and mine. They were very, it was just, it wasn't, I couldn't tell you what her priorities were. It was just a bit odd. Um, and then we went to the third school, which was looked like a village school. And we went there and we got shown around by two children, which was fascinating. And this school always does it. Even now they do this. And it is great being shown around two children. You get to ask them, what's your favorite bit? What was it like when you started here? What happened? And we learned so much from them. And then we sat down with his head teacher who was interested in us. And visiting this school, which was, I would just describe it as, as very, as, I'm, I'm not a religious person. The Christian values, I'm, I wasn't really fussed about. I like politeness and rules and respect, completely agree. Other stuff, that's each person's opinion. But I love the feeling this school gave me. The, the whole school is a family type thing. And the head teacher sat us down and just visiting this one school completely changed the school I wanted. My opinion, I wanted that first school, which was almost like this is what I thought I wanted. I realized visiting these three schools, that's not what I want. This is the school I want. So we, my daughter went there. And then a term later, that head teacher left and we got a different head teacher and it was a very different school. <laughs> We're doing a bad job of encouraging people. <laughs> We're here doing to a bad job. <laughs> but what I did do, and this is a thing, I would recommend whichever school you spend time choosing don't just choose and then walk away. Be part of that school. You can be on the pair, you can be on the PTA. Yeah. You can get involved and raise money for that school. If you want your child to have more stuff, well, they should be doing this. Well, be a governor. Become a governor. I became the chair of governors at that school. So I got involved and I learned the amazing stuff. And I was able to champion SEN more. I was able to find out more and do stuff and things like that. So yeah, choosing a school, be part of that school. Especially as a parent of a child of SEM, you can help push the SEM priority in that school. You can point out that actually this is how it is for me. Or And then when they say something, you're going, don't forget SEM. But yeah, so be part of that school. But yeah, choosing a school is a point in time. And I was going to ask you a question, Sarah. So you, you chose that school, you moved there, and you realized a couple of years later, maybe it wasn't the best school. Did you move school or did you keep it on? Did you stick it out? We stuck it out for a few months because it was mid-pandemic. So, you you know, to some degree, you're trying to, to, to weigh up, you know, is this going to get better? You know, is this a blip? Is it going to get better? Or actually, you know, is it now time to, to consider other options? So we stuck it out for a few months, but then I started to look around and started to consider what the other options were. 
And at that point, I wasn't committed to moving. I just wanted to really understand what my options were. Because sometimes you need to go out and see, you know, is the grass greener or not before making that decision. And sometimes you go out and you have a look. I guess it's a bit like if you're unhappy in your job, you go and find out what's out there. And sometimes it's reinforcing you. You're actually, the deal I've got is not that bad. But other times you go out and you think, actually, there is something that I think is a better fit. And so in the end, at the end of that academic year, we did move my daughter um, to a school that I think is a better fit for her. Um, but I may just as easily have gone around and looked at other schools and, and realized that, you know, the difficulties her school was having were replicated in other places. So um, I think it's okay to always go back and rethink your options. I was saying when I was young, it was the idea you can move school. I didn't even think of. And so when I became a parent and I had to, I didn't even think of it. But uh, there are children who left my daughter's school because they weren't happy with something and they moved to another school. They still lived around the corner. My daughter still saw her friend, even though she went to a different school. It wasn't a case of I'm ripping my child away from her friends. Is um, That's her current friends who are born near her at the same time. They're friends, not a real life friend. If they're real life friend, they'll stay friends forever. But also a lot of the children go to brownies or cubs or do football together or things like that. So they will still see their friends. And we have, again, we have lots of little primary schools near us and all the children intermix at all these different outside school activities. So there's not, again, going to be there. And you might find when they go to this school, oh, three of my friends from brownies are here. So I've already got friends here and I'm already welcome and I feel part of it. And so, yeah, so moving school, which I thought you just didn't do, is a lot more going on. And we almost moved my daughter out of her primary school, um, but we had one year left. And it was like, if, there, if she was a year younger, I would have moved her without a question. But it was like, it's one year left. I just want to keep that last year. It was mid-pandemic as well. I said, let's keep it simple. Um, and the fact she worked from home halfway through that year, it was actually in reality best for her because it wasn't a great school. There lots of things weren't going great. Um, mainly, it wasn't the academic side. It was the other children. It was the social. It was various things going on with them and how that wasn't lots of things. But I was quite happy to leave that school. Um, but my older daughter, it was an amazing school. So I'm, I'm quite glad you actually did have the courage to move your child and you actually didn't sit there and go, this is me for another three years or oh, it will be all right. You took the decision of, I want what's best for my child and right now it, it's, it's no longer this school. Yeah, and in some, in some ways I made a rod for my own back because I now need to drive her to school and I can no longer just drop her off. You know, I can no longer just throw her over the fence. But, um, but it's always important to keep coming back to your individual child. You know, whether that school is or isn't the right school for my younger daughter is, is you know, a completely different question. Um, but I think you also raised something else that's interesting, Dale, when you're talking about other social opportunities for our children, like brownies and, and those sorts of things, is that when you're looking for a school, the school doesn't have to provide everything that your child needs. It needs to, you know, give you know, the best possible support for your child from the available options. I often describe a kind of 80% best fit. You're looking for something that is, is meeting 80% of what you're looking for and then thinking about what are the other supplementary things I need to put around that. Okay, my first choice doesn't have that great swimming pool, so maybe I'm going to need to supplement with some, with some swimming elsewhere. 
or um, no, it's not close to home. And so the opportunities to make friends, you know, particularly if you're thinking about things like special schools where you may have to travel a little bit further and you're worried, you know, my, my child might not have friends in the local area. Um, there are other opportunities like rainbows and brownies groups and so on. It's it's looking for something that offers the majority of what you're looking for. But then, you know, there are other supplementary things you can do to make sure that your child's needs are met in the round. And I would like to mention about brownies and guides and football and things like that, that they have become a lot more inclusive over I, my experience, because I, I can go on, the last five years or so, five, 10 years is it's not a case of football's about, I was a football coach and football is fun. And, and children come along and you coach them. And although I've not been a teacher, I can recognize certain things and I can go, okay, we got this, we got that. And you, the parents would, some of them would talk to you. Others, you go, I can't really mention that, but I'm pretty sure, but no one's mentioned it. I best not say anything. But you adapted. And, and a lot, I know from my daughter's going to guides and things like that, that again, they are supporting various children. So it isn't a case of my child has special needs. I, they can't, they can. It's a lot more welcoming. And I also think the current generation of children are a lot more um, welcoming and understanding of different children in lots of ways in what I mean by that. is It's much happier, much more accepting. So your child can be different and go and do things, and that is fine. They're not going to be excluded. Yeah, there's a great deal more flexibility now. And flexibility is one of the things that you're looking for when you go and look at schools and when you go and look at, at clubs and other opportunities for your children. And I think having a really open conversation with people. Um, I have lots of parents ask me, you know, how much should I tell them about my child? You know, should I hold back some information or should I be sharing everything? And I would say that if you want to have that really brilliant joint working relationship, that starts from honesty. That starts from sharing with the school what works well for your child. What do they like? What do they find difficult? And sometimes watching, engaging somebody's response to what they're telling you about their child is a picture that speaks a thousand words. If when you're telling somebody about your child's needs, they're nodding, there's some recognition there that they you know, perhaps have um, worked with a child with similar needs before, of course, no two children being the same, but you know, there's some experience and some, um, some history there. Um, if they're asking you questions that you feel are opening up the conversation or if they're saying things that you think are shutting that conversation down, all of those things are important. So I think being really open and honest from the outset is really helpful. Because it's better to know ahead of time if a school can genuinely support your child's needs and if they have the right attitude. You know, if they're like, oh, tell me more about that. What would that look like in practice? Oh, show me an example. If they're open to those conversations, it tells you that they're going to be open to working with you and being flexible to make sure that your child's needs are met rather than when you're getting a very bog standard response back of, well, this is how we've always done it. Um, yeah, if, if they ever say that phrase, walk out of the school. <laughs> <laughs> the worst phrase, um, I, I hate education. Well, that's the way we've always done it. It's worst. Um, but I, yeah, I think, I, I know we can always talk about our own children for hours. And you could go into a parent's evening, you've got five minutes, but you could talk for an hour and a half about your amazing child. We all can. And I think if your child with SEN, you're concerned about your child being supported, you could probably talk for even longer. I think what you're looking for is the feeling that person you're talking to is giving me. Are they making me feel I cannot share and I should keep quiet? Or are they making me 
feel that I can say anything and the way they're responding. That's what I'm looking for. It's not how much do I talk. It's the feeling that person's given me. If I'm sitting there, I'm with Dad, oh yeah, we can do that. Well, I haven't told you about them yet. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, sort of thing. It's, it's how they react and um, is what I would say. It's, oh, your child's got autism. Oh, how, how does it impact her? Well, that's, that's a good start. You've understood A, they're all different and B, and you're interested and things like that. And yeah, it's how that conversation develops and how that person is fueling it and making it happen as opposed to closing it off. And if you say, oh, he really struggles with that and they go, yeah, we don't do that. It's just, uh, I, there's no point because it's hard to change an ethos of a school. Yeah. Even if that's the best school in the area, you can't kind of shoehorn your child's needs into that school if they don't want to support your child. I think there's a lot to be said for that gut feel. Um, we're not necessarily going to make our entire decision based on gut feel, but I think uh, very much as you described when you looked around the three schools for your children, you couldn't articulate at one school why it wasn't a good fit, but you knew that it wasn't. And, you know, on the other hand, you knew that there was a school that was a good fit, which, again, you can articulate to some extent, but you can't fully articulate it. There is something about the feeling that you get both from the place and from the staff and from chatting to the children um, that I think shouldn't be underestimated. Right. One thing I'm going to talk about, I can go, I can go on so many tangents on this just from my experience as a parent, is what you expect a school day to look like. So you might be expecting lots of written work and lots of times tables and lots of worksheets and lots of things because that's how it happened for me and that's what's good. That's what's wrong for my child because it was good enough for me, it's good enough for my child. That's not how schools are. That's not how schools should be. The biggest thing I think children need from school, especially when she's talking creativity in English, is inspiration. And one of the things my daughter's school, and it's one of the reasons we fell in love with this school, is every Friday morning in reception, they went for a walk in the local woods. So, and they, would, they didn't have enough adults, so parents had to go and help, which meant I could take the Friday morning off every couple of weeks and go and walk into the woods with my daughter and her friends. And we'd go off down the road and go into the woods. And I still don't know when they did it but they would go off and hide some things on some bottoms of trees. And then we'd go listen to a tree. They would say, oh, some fairies need some help. Everyone go find the fairies. And we'd find fairies in the woods. I'm not idea if they did it on the way to school or one of them snuck off when we arrived. I have no idea when. They always did it. And we'd all go help these fairies. You have to build them houses. And we had this adventure in the woods all morning long. And we had biscuits and we had some races and we did this, we did that. It was always different. And there was always some learning embedded in there. Or it was just we were doing stuff which we, they would then write about later. And it was the most imagined. And even the children to year six went to the woods every so often. And they loved it because it connected them to when they joined the school. It made them feel good. They, the, the lesson moved on. They were doing, I think at one point they were doing Shakespeare in the woods and performing in the and all this stuff and it was amazing and it was the inspiration which when my daughter came to writing it helped to think about what she did and she could write it whereas if she just spent her entire time in the classroom doing writing and maths she wouldn't be inspired she wouldn't have the inspiration she wouldn't be interested in things 
So we've got to, if someone says, oh, we do this, ask why. Don't think it's wrong. Ask why, because schools have changed and schools have got a lot better. When I was at school, there's a lot more going on. They, and yes, you'll find their calculation policy is extremely odd and you won't be able to help them with their maths for a long time because you'll get very confused and that's just life of being a parent. You're doing it wrong, apparently. Um, but yeah, the structure in the school day and being inspired and doing outdoor learning and doing all this stuff and going on school trips is one of the best things in your child's education. Absolutely. I think there's two points that I would want to make uh, from what you've just said there. The first is that inspiration is much more effective than discipline. So if children are inspired and enjoying themselves and really enjoying their learning and completely engaged in it, they are more likely to successfully learn and less likely to be distracted and you know getting involved with things that they might not be uh, so great for them. So I think you know that inspiration is really important in terms of capturing our children's attention and motivation. And the second thing that I want to say, which is true for all children, you know, play is the vehicle for learning, particularly for young children. Uh, They learn much more from play than they do from the traditional, you know, chalk and talk style teaching. But for our children with SEN, they need to relate everything that they learn to real life experiences. This is, you know, how we take some quite abstract concepts and make those really real and understandable for our children. It's easier to remember things that we've experienced firsthand, but we also understand how things work better when we've experienced them firsthand. And, you know, I've seen some amazing teaching in my time, uh, but one of uh, the favorite lessons that I've observed over time was when a Key Stage 2 teacher was doing a lesson on digestion with some, uh, some children with additional need. And she was trying to explain how our intestines work. And that's quite a, you know, an abstract concept. But the way that she was demonstrating that is she was getting children to take chopped food that had been mixed with water to kind of represent the saliva and the, the, the intestinal juices. And they were squeezing it through a pair of tights so that they could see how the muscles contract, you know, contract and expand to move the food along through the digestive system. And by making that a real life, literally hands-on experience, that brought that connection so that the children could understand something that they couldn't see in the moment. And those experiences make a huge difference. It exposes us to the vocabulary. It exposes us to, you know, lots of our children with SEN can cognitively understand some tricky concepts with the right language and the right amount of visual support. And sometimes that visual support is real objects, real experiences. I think you'll find if you did a whole lesson where you wrote down how how the intestines work or you squeezed some random food through a pair of tights, the tights will always be the more interesting, the more fun, the more messy, but also you're going to remember it and you'll learn from it. Yeah. So the idea of sitting down and writing, we've moved on from that as an education system in a lot of schools. Some still are there. And it's all about um, actually what it is we're learning. What is it we're thinking about? It's um, sequencing events to help tell the stories better and so many things and what's going on in the story. and doing that in the woods and then writing that down. It just, there's so many things. Um, that, and that's again, as for me as a parent, that was when they told us about that visiting the school is they told us they did it and they gave all the reasons why and then what they did. And the fact they got to year six, it was all those things that they told us about all the additional bits, um, that they did. Um, 
which I love. And they said they did the creative curriculum, which they didn't really, they did it for a couple of hours every Wednesday, which some schools do random things like that. But again, it is, it was, it helped me see, I went into choosing a school thinking about grades and academia and so on. Um, but actually I saw visiting this school, it helped me see that there was so much more my child needed that's saying needed, not wanted, needed more than academic. It was so much more they needed that the school would provide by various opportunities. Um, and that was, I realized, and again, going through that school, my children coming out the other end, it was all those additional experiences which made my eldest who she is today. Yes, and I think sometimes it is in the mistakes that we learn. And so even if the school that you pick doesn't immediately turn out to be everything that you hoped it would be, the learning that comes from those experiences can still be really, really valuable. So um, yes, weigh up your options. Yes, go for the one that you think is the best fit that's going to give your child that 80% of what they need. But it's okay if it takes a second go to get that right. You mentioned earlier, and I just want to touch on this, the different types of settings. And you talked about a mainstream, the resource base, and a specialist. And as you said, it is important to go and see the different types. You might be a parent going, there's various reasons parents want their child to go to mainstream school. They might want them to be normal. They might want them, if I don't go to there, they won't get the grades and they'll, they'll fail in life. And there's various reasons. That, and generally, it's often fear which is driving you that way. And I think it's important to go to these schools um, and listen to what they want to say. Think about what that means for your child and think about. And this is the thing with the mainstream, how much of that will your child access with, on, with as, as an equal? So depending on your child, if they need one-on-one support, doing that stuff always with a TA, is that the same experience? I think there's just so, it is, it's a very complicated issue. But going to see what that resource base looks like, because what I like is I, I went to um, a learning village up in, um, up north somewhere, I can't remember where it was now, it was a very long time ago. And it was an it, it was infant, it was a primary school, a special school, and a secondary school, all in the same building. It looked kind of bonkers. But what's nice about it is the special school, the primary school, and the secondary had the same uniform. So there was a whole sense of community belonging, and they all just went to different sections of the school, which made it feel like one school when they were included and they went to the same lunch area. So I liked that because... You're not separating them, which is, I think, some people's worry that if they go there, that's they're not going to get. But it is, you've got to balance up what is your misconception, what is it your child needs, and, and based on where your child is, what are their future prospects? And I know when you're asked at the age your child is four with additional needs, they've just got their EHCP, and they ask you, what do you want your child to be in the future? And you're going, they're four, and I want them to be... Uh, it's hard to know, but you've got to try and balance all of these things up and work out what will make your child thrive. Yeah, and I think that parents often write special schools off. And in the way that you were talking about how schools have moved forward so much in a generation from the time that we were at school, special schools have moved forward tremendously in that time. 
And so the image that some of us, um, you know, from our generation have of special schools in our mind does not reflect modern special schools, or it doesn't reflect most modern special schools. So I think it is important to go and challenge that preconception and go and have a look. Um, I think you might be pleasantly surprised by what you see, by how aspirational some of the secondary schools are, by the opportunities that they're providing, et cetera. Um, I think it's also important to say that it isn't a one-way ticket. Often parents of young children worry that if their child starts at a special school, that they'll never be able to access mainstream school. And actually, I think if your child is getting the right education for the stage of development that they're at, they will make the best possible progress. And that might open up other opportunities to them. Whereas if their needs are not well met, actually what that does is it closes opportunities over time. So it's really about getting the right support to make the, the most progress at the stage that you're at. And the last thing I would say is that peer group is much more important than people realize. Having other children in the setting with whom your child identifies, who feels that they are on a level playing field with, who they feel understand them and is having the same experiences as them is also very important. Um, and depending on the child's age and stage, you know, how, how much that's, you know, how much they're thinking about that will vary a lot. Um, but I think that, you know, if you're choosing a mainstream school, you want there to be other children that are having the same experiences as your child. You want there to be other children who are going to join them, for example, in a social skills group to work on turn taking or whatever the case is. They, they need to be other children in that setting that they might be able to identify with, that they can see are also finding some things tricky and are needing help from, you know, the teaching assistant or the class teacher. Um, I think peer group is really important. Peer group is very important, but also very dangerous. So there can be, you can literally have two children in the same school going through the same teachers with polar opposite experiences because of a couple of children in that class. And I'm not saying a couple of children with special needs who need additional support. I mean, a couple of children who I'm going to say are troublemakers or this or that, or um, they've got older siblings who have made them older than their years, but we don't understand the complications that come with it and can be really horrible. There's so many variations which can make a child's life difficult and as you said that peer group is very important and i think i said that word thrive and as i said that when that's a really important word and i much great choice of word because it is thrive and over the last three years my daughters have been at school through covid and obviously never say to your child what have you done at school today because they don't it's too abstract there's a whole blank questions thing on their verbal reasoning which i learned from your friend Anne Harrod Welsh. Um, uh, it's one of Sarah's friends um, who I've done a podcast. And she told me about that. And I realized actually asking them a very abstract thing is uh, you can ask them, how was English? What did you do? What did you have for lunch? How was lunch? Well, ask them something specific and they'll be able to answer. And then you'll pull out from there. But over lockdown with everything you talk, I try and talk to my children about their day and you just watch them not really be able to talk about it because not lots going on. And over the last couple of months, my eldest has come back to actually not, answering questions but starting answering questions and that conversation just carry on going because she's had fun at school and i suppose that's what is helping her she's enjoying school so thriving is if you're if you're asking your if you go to this school and you go my child's going to struggle here but it's what's right for them 
if they're going to go there and they're going to struggle and not have friends and not enjoy and be with that and not do that. And they, when they talk, ask them about like, at dinner time, how was school? And you have that conversation and it's all, yeah, it's all right. That's not the right school for them. If they go to a different setting, maybe a specialist setting, maybe a, a resource unit or something like that. And when they come home, they've got something in the hand they want to share with you or they want to tell you a story. I mean, my daughter's in year nine and we'll message how was school and she'll go, I've got a great story. I'll save it for dinner. And it was very entertaining, but it, that is what I mean by thriving. Because if they are coming back from school, enjoying it, then that doesn't mean like, their work is easy. That means what they're doing is at the right level for them. It's engaging them. They're enjoying it. And they'll be making the best progress and doesn't mean academic. It could mean academic, but it doesn't specifically mean academic. Progress for them. And it might be that you're building their confidence. They've gone to a specialist setting. Maybe they've done a couple of settings as clubs earlier and it, they, they felt excluded. They didn't have friends and they damaged, and not damaged it. That's a bad word. It made them shut down a bit. It, may, it had a negative impact. And going to this specialist setting, as you said, can help rebuild and confidence and learn, oh, that's how I make friends, all that sort of thing. It helps them learn how to be social and it helps them make them the best them, which means they could go on to into mainstream later. Now you've given them all the strategies and they've worked out how to cope with this and do this and they can do this and they've got more confidence. They can go into mainstream. The other way is going into a mainstream setting and a lot of children where the parents are fighting free HCPs because they're not getting the support and it's going badly is it generally gets to crisis before they get to where they should be. And while you're in that crisis, it is damaging that child. And I'm going to use the damage there because it is damaging. Um, you can have lots of negative impact and you, and I do think that local authorities are very, um, callous. They are just horrible about this because, Oh, it's fine. We'll just send this. Like, no, it's not fine. You literally destroyed this child for the last two years of their life and they're somehow going to pick it up is getting them into that maybe that setting which makes them feel happy and confident um is important so yeah don't be scared of special schools don't be scared of resource bases they are there for a reason and they will hopefully help your child to thrive because i would give anything for my daughters to come back from every day at school happy Yes, and I think we also have to look at the reality of the world that we live in and really think about the impact that the current financial situation in schools is having on how well-supported children with additional needs are at the moment. And with the best will in the world, a school can really, really want to support your child and be working really hard to support your child. But if they are not given enough resource to do that, they're kind of patching things up with the hope of your child surviving school rather than being able to thrive and, and make the best possible progress. And one of the things that happens in resource bases and special schools is they are slightly better funded. They're not brilliantly funded, but they're slightly better funded. But there is the opportunity because of you know economy of scale to be able to provide better for some children, not for all children with SEM, but you know to have more access to specialist resources, et cetera, which can make a really big difference. And it, yeah, you, and, I, and I was thinking of parents' evening when I was thinking about that thriving thing is 
I think if you work in education, you could be the worst parent to talk to at parents' evening. So when the teacher says this, and you're literally going, that is completely and utterly wrong what you've just said, you could either decide to lecture them. You could either, there's many decisions you could go in these conversations. But I generally, I go in and I only ask two questions. Is she happy? Is she participating and in, in getting engaged? If the answer to both of those is yes, I do not care about my daughter's results. I'm quite lucky they're doing well. I think they do well because they're doing those two things. And yes, my teacher could say something which I completely disagree with, um, but that's based on my experiences. Hers is based on her experiences. We could both be right. We could both be wrong. But I might go and have a conversation later as a question and ask why we've got to that. That's a whole other thing. But as, yeah, I think as someone who works in education, you you are the worst nightmare when it comes to parents' evening. Oh, totally. It, it... <laughs> totally. Um, and also the worst at following through on things at home. <laughs> yes. But it is, it is all I care. Leak. I think the same is true of um, the, yes. the uh, home learning opportunities of teachers' children. <laughs> Definitely. But it is, it is all I care about is, is my daughter engaging is she happy? If the answer to both of those is yes, then at parenting, I literally, I've got nothing else to ask you because that's all I care about. And every, if those two things happen, the rest should follow. Yes, I agree. Totally. And I think when you're looking around schools, keeping that in the front of your mind, is this an environment in which I think my child could be happy? Is this an environment in which I think my child will engage? Or are they always going to be on the sidelines of what's happening here? And that's the one thing I think... If you are in a school which is very competitive, both academically and maybe in sports and other things, if you are a parent of a child with additional needs, yes, they might have all these things, but your child might not be taking part in that because by including your child, they may lose that game or they may have an impact. So. I always think that, and I, I'm someone who I, I went to a mainstream school. I did my secondary school, I did my primary school. My mum taught in a special school. And whenever I had an inset day, I went to my mum's school for the day and I joined in. And as I started off at the same age as these children. And I remember sitting there going, I'm in year four and I'm playing with Lego. This is the best day ever. And I didn't understand why what the difference between my school and my mum's school apart from they had no school uniform and it was a lot more fun and then I did the work and I'm like oh, this is so easy I was got a bit bored and everyone else was really struggling and I sort of don't realize but then I kept going and as I got older they obviously my mum's class stayed a similar age and I went and I became like a bit of an NSA 15 years old going in helping eight-year-old kids and it was so much fun and you could see these kids have fun and they were part they were the whole class were together and in some ways, what I was amazed at is some of these children were very streetwise in the playground. We had a conversation and we could talk about the latest music or films or games. And there was very little difference between us. We go into the classroom, we're doing telling the time. And there was a vast difference. So I found that quite interesting is the playground. They were all together. The whole school was one. There was no segregation. There was no difference. It was everyone was included. I used to play football against the entire school. It was a huge blast. And the school was fun and interesting and accommodating. Um, and I also, at my school, I did, there were children with special needs. And 
it was the nineties. It wasn't the best. It was, they didn't know how to support that child. It was quite obvious. I got given form points because I had some experience in my, so I used to get form points for looking after a boy in my class because the teacher didn't know what to do. And I'm hoping every school will come a long way like that, but don't, yeah, your preconceptions of what a special school is, and you might be thinking purely academic, but look at your child right now. Do they need academic or do they need to be part of a community where they're accepted? Yes, and I think don't underestimate some of the academic aspiration of some schools, particularly specialist schools. So schools that um, support a specific cohort of children with SEN. So schools for children with um, dyslexia, schools for children with um, ASD, schools for children with speech and language difficulties. Some of those schools are still um, providing quite a a rigorous um, academic curriculum, but the way in which it's delivered has been adapted to suit the needs of those children. Because if you are, if your child is has dyslexia and you found a school near you which specialises in dyslexia, then basically nearly every member of staff in that school might not be an expert in dyslexia, but will have a lot of understanding, be very accommodating, and will just be able to pull resources out of their hat like that because they're a school for dyslexia. It will be set up. It will be prepared. They'll know all the access arrangements for the exams before even asking. They'll be doing it because they're set up and they're under, they understand dyslexia. Totally. And I think you mentioned at the very beginning of, of the podcast, this almost notional idea of choice. So, they, you know, you're given the illusion of choice, but do you really have a choice? And I, I just want to pick up on that to say that the, the options that are given to you by the local authority or the options that you go to have a look at, it is okay to look outside of that. It is okay to look at those options where people say to you, oh, the local authority will never agree to that. Actually, those schools are full. (laughs) The local authority is agreeing to places, so don't rule places out. And also, you know, nobody wants to get involved in the adversarial senders tribunals process, but that is there to support you if you need it. And I think it's worth keeping in mind that over 90% of cases that parents bring are one, you know, the the tribunal is agreed in the parents' favor when they are putting forward um, a specialist school that is right for their child's needs. And so... Um, I think sometimes parents don't even go to look because they're put off before they start. And I think it is important to still go and look at places. And I could open up a whole can of worms, but the reason, 90, I think it might be 96, it's a huge it's high in the 90s high, yeah. percent, is not because parents have huge amounts of money and they just get a wander lot. It is basically, they're just presenting, this is what the law says, this is what you must do. And the judge goes, yes, you must. It's that simple. It costs money. Yeah, and a lot of times you do have to spend, but it's generally not a hard fight because all you are asking is for the law to be upheld. Um, local authorities aren't doing it. I can go into a whole reason, the reason why I think, but basically I'm at the point of breaking. They don't have the money. They can only do it if a law, if a judge tells them, then they have to spend the money by law, whereas they're trying not to because they don't have it. So it's a whole policy which is wrong, hopefully the new code of practice, right? Yeah, and I think there is also an emotional cost to parents for going through that process. They, they you know, they worry about huge. the stress, and there's a huge emotional cost there. But I think that the short-term pain of that can be worthwhile if you are able to secure what your child needs. I, 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 I yes, I can. Uh, my sister's been on a huge emotional roller coaster. I think I need to contact her because I think there was a tribunal recently. 
and it is a horrible emotional roller coaster. But I think when you get your child where they should be and they come back and enjoying school again for the first time in a long time and that your child is going somewhere now, almost, as I'm going to say, it's almost like that childbirth thing, but not being one I want to understand, of you kind of forget about the stress. Yeah, you're doing it to get something better and then it's kind of, it gets wiped away. Women have to have to have a second birth. It hurts a lot, but they go through it again. I don't know why. Um, but it is that sort of thing is you're fighting for something better. And I think when you get there and you get that better thing, it will make all the stress getting there worth it. I really think so. I really do. I think it is painful. I think it does take a toll, but I think that it's worth it if you can secure for, for your child something that is going to meet um, definitely. So sorry to open up that whole can, can of worms, Dale, and get a bit political. <laughs> oh, we could have gone. It's a huge, huge. Um, but it is, it is. I think if you are a child with SEN, you are a parent of a child with SEN, you've got fighting for the rest of your life and for their life. I'm hoping things will change. I also understand from other people, we are, although it's horrible here in some situations, it's one of the best in the whole world, um, which I always have to hang on to occasionally. There's generally lots of people who want to help, but as you said, not always the funding there. Um, it's horrible, but um, what I've what I've really enjoyed about this, as I, as I think about what we've discussed over the last hour, is we talked about um, choosing a school. What, what actually we talked about is lots of things that the parents who are choosing a school probably aren't even thinking about because that's three years down the line, four years down the line, five years down the line, years down the line. But we're saying this because we've both had children and we've talked about actually we thought this was important, but it wasn't. This was what was important. And you will not realize that until you've chosen a school and you've gone through this and gone, oh, I'd wish I'd chosen that school. Oh. And what I like what you said is, is you're choosing a school for a couple of years. And in a lot of situations, you can change. There's a lot of mo social, there's a lot of mobility going on where some people we've had in my daughter's year, whereas my school, I think two people joined when I was at primary school in seven years. Um, my daughter's class, I think 10, 10 or 12 children left over the course of seven years and 10 or 12 children arrived. Some of them moved up and down the country. Some of them just moved a little bit further away and moved to the next school. Some of them just didn't get on with other children in that class. And that's about the peer group. So they moved to the school next door. So there's lots of reasons. So don't assume that once I've got my child into this school, that's me for four years or seven years. You can always, always look somewhere else once you're in. If it's not working, change it. So I, I've, I've really enjoyed I've really enjoyed um, the podcast. I've liked listening to your experiences that you literally moved to backing onto the school and then took your daughter out of that school. And it does, it does cause pain. When we talked about my daughter, it was like, we looked about moving and things like that. Like, if we do this, we have to drive every, oh, What's the best? What's and it is it is quite complex. Some of these issues and a lot of it ends up in the money world of money uh, because and I've heard of children people who've moved local authority just because the rules around SEN were better in that local authority. In theory, they should have been the same, but um, that's a whole other ball game, another can of worms. But some parents have literally moved, and they talk. We always still use the term postcode lottery. 
Um, it does exist and some logical authorities are much better than others. And if you could afford to move to a different authority, you might have a hugely more positive experience. Um, and it might be the Senko, it might be that school, it might be that local authority. But yeah, trying somewhere else can have a very different experience. And that's something I also say to teachers, if you're not happy in your job, move to another school. They're not all the same. Yes, and Perhaps I think... Segue there. Yes, but. definitely. But I think <laughs> more than anything, as you're going into this experience of looking at schools and trying to make this decision for your child, always keep your child at the center of your search and keep coming back to those non-negotiables that I mentioned. What are the things that are the most important for you and your family? Keep your child at the center of it all the time. And if you need help, reach out for help. Speak to your local SENDIAS group if you need to. Find that local support group for parents. Reach out to the professionals who work with your child or to independent professionals if, if you have the means to do so. You don't have to do it by yourself. And if at the beginning of this podcast you sort of went, I don't know what my non-negotiables are, Hopefully, some of the things we've talked about through this podcast, you might be going, that's what I want. And that is becoming your non-negotiable. Because, yeah, what do you want when you're choosing a child for your a school for your child? You don't always know. But hopefully, just by talking through some of the things or experiences, um, it will make a big difference. Um, and one of the little things that I really like my daughter's school did is um, when you are in year four, at the end of year four, um, once the new um, admissions have been done and the school learns who's going to come to that school, um, they assign buddies in year four. So every child in year four is assigned a new starter and they write a letter welcoming that child to the school and that letter gets sent to the child. And then they have like a come into the school day so all the children coming into reception come in in June or July and their buddy is waiting for them. So that year four child is waiting for them and takes them around the school. And on the first day of the year, so in September, the first school day, those year fours are now in year fives, their first day. And this is something that every child from reception looks forward to because they know they had a buddy which made their life easy and they get to be someone's buddy. So that first day in year five, you spend the entire day in reception again, playing with your buddy. That sounds like an amazing transitional program. And it was great. And my daughter, we'd occasionally, my daughter would go to mum, I've been invited out for tea, for like a drink with my buddy. And so I mean, my daughter, who's in year five, 10 years old, she was rather tall with this tiny child in reception, but playing. And it was just this most... And what I loved about it is that it was a one form entry school, but every year, every child knew every child. Also, they all knew each other. My school was a bit separated into years, but it created these huge ageless barriers. Um, and that just bringing children into the school, it was fabulous. And it meant that I knew on day one of school, my daughter had a buddy. And they always looked out for them. And literally, it's like I say to her, how was school? And she's like, oh, my buddy looked a bit sad. So me and my friends went and played with her. And then all the other children in that year joined us. And it was, it was just fascinating. And it's just things as a parent you don't think about, you don't know about. But it was one of the things that was a real highlight for that school for us. Um, it just made, and it wasn't academic. It probably never appears on an Ofsted report. But it's the bit I talk about to other parents. Because that's what matters to me. 
And that's what you'll never see in an offset report. So yeah, offset report is one thing, but non-negotiables, what is important to your child and for you? So come to the end. Thank you for coming on the show today. Really enjoyed it. Um, you've given me a link about choosing a school, which I'll be putting in the show notes. You can access the show notes wherever you access the podcast um, or on our website. And I've also shared Sarah's contact details. So thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, please do subscribe. If you have no idea how to subscribe, it's probably where you listen to this, um, but you can go to our website and there are links to all the different podcast platforms we are on. Please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast and on Facebook and Instagram, The Sendcast. And please use social media to share the Sendcast with others. And before we go, I would just like to remind you to check out what we do here at B Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education, where you will find a number of our guests, our speakers at one of our virtual Send conferences, or they've recorded their own training course. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And lastly, don't forget our assessment products. This is what we've been doing for over 25 years, helping schools show the small sets of progress pupils with SEND make. And we cover a huge range from early years to post-16 and preparing for adulthood and a huge ability range as well. Visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. Thanks so much, Dale, and goodbye from me as well. Bye, everybody. Bye.